I failed to mention uh, that Jerry and Marla from Russia Worship are in this service as well. I didn't see you sneak back in. Would you all stand up for just a minute? These are one of our Global Focus mission partners. Would you all make them feel welcome all the way from Russia? And I was uh, teasing Jerry. He left cold to come to cold. But he reminded me that uh, one of the big differences is that uh, we have sunshine here. And a lot of times it's just not the sunshine in the winters. They're glad y'all are here and praying for you and grateful for the partnership. I want to do something as we start that's going to be just a little bit different. Over the next three weeks, we're taking care of some exciting things. But they also kind of give you a little bit of a glimpse into, I guess, what our church is and what we're trying to be about, where we're going, and those kinds of things. So today we're going to be uh, ordaining a new deacon, and that'll be happening tonight. We would normally do that in this uh, service, but we're now a church that's split into two locations. We have a church plant, uh, and some of our deacons are out there, and they just really requested, like, we want to be part of this. Is there any way you could do it at night? Uh, but I felt like I wanted all of you to, to at least get eyes on our deacons. And so I want all of our deacons, if they would, to come and stand down here at the front. And I want to ask uh, Bob Ray, our chairman, and Jody May, uh, one of our new deacons, and Philip Lim, one of our new deacons, to join me on the platform right now. Please, y'all come on and make your way forward. This is a special opportunity, and I'm not going to call out by name all of the deacons that are down front. Some of them are serving other places, teaching Sunday school classes, different things like that. But it is special because we're introducing two new deacons. Uh, here you see Jody May. Jody's going to be ordained tonight, and Philip Lim standing next to him. And uh, Philip is, doesn't need to be ordained. He's been ordained at a deacon at a church where he served uh, in the Memphis area. And next to them is Bob Ray. And Bob is not a stranger to you guys as a deacon or even deacon chairman, but I'm excited that in 2018, Brother Bob agreed to serve alongside and help me this year uh, as your pastor, and I know he's going to do a great job. Uh, Bob has always done a good job and is just a, a confidant and a counselor to me. I really appreciate him. But uh, would you just for a moment welcome these guys and thank them for their service? I want you to see them. Yeah, thank you, guys. Appreciate y'all. Y'all can go and be seated. You know, it's a, uh, it's a funny thing uh, when we talk about deacons because there are really only specifically three passages in the New Testament that mention the word deacon in terms of the office of, of the word deacon. Um, deacon simply means servant, and so that word shows up in the scripture many times, but three passages specifically mention it. We're not going to look at one because it's only mentioned as a uh, salutation in the book of Philippians. When Paul wrote at the church at Philippi, he just said, hey, Good to see all you guys. Here's a letter, and I want it to go to the deacons and the overseers or pastors. And, uh, and so it's important that you understand, I think, what a deacon does here, and why would, we, why would we ordain Jody tonight and set him apart, and why would we ask Philip to come and serve with us? But it's important that you understand it from the biblical perspective, and I hope to show you that. But then there's also some nuances to that that every church has that are just a little bit different, and I want to talk to you about that for just a second because probably most of you didn't grow up in a church that has the structure that we have. I didn't. In fact, the last church that I pastored didn't have this structure. Every church in Southern Baptist life has its own structure and its own polity and that kind of thing. But when you think about it, Christ's instructions kind of call out deacons because he told us that we need to be serving one another, right? I mean, that's the whole idea is that service is the highest end that we have in our lives as believers. And so when we talk about that, specifically our structure at Judson is set up like this. We're pastor-led, deacon-served, committee-administered, and congregationally supported. Let me unpack that for just a second 
for you. Pastor led, I'm responsible to listen to the Lord, pray to the Lord, seek counsel, and basically come back to you with a vision that I hope that God has given us and leads us toward in implementing that. Our deacons serve alongside so that our pastors are freed up then to lead the church and, and be able to preach and teach, and we'll see that in just a minute. Uh, and they really are servants. They don't vote on anything. They don't make decisions uh, outside of, you know, anything I might ask you to do and help us make a decision with too. It's the same kind of thing. But when you see our deacons serving, you generally see them behind the scenes. This will probably be the last time that you see the deacons until we do this again next year. I mean, it's that kind of thing. Uh, they are uh, in the clandestine service, so to speak, of the church because they're operating really as servants operate, and it's a beautiful thing. We have a couple of committees that are, are standing here at Judson that are all the time. One of those is a personnel team, and one of our deacons, uh, Bob Freeze, chairs that committee this year. And the personnel team is tasked with helping Pastor Todd and myself take care of our staff and make sure that we're doing a good job and taking care of their needs and supplying what they need. Then we have a, 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 a I said Bob Freeze was that. He's finance. I'm sorry. With so many committees, so many deacons, so many Bobs. You know what I mean? Sorry about that. Bob Freeze is finance. Bob works with Todd and I to help us uh, make sure that the financial practices of the church, he orchestrates that with a financial team, and they do a good job with that. Greg Hall is actually one of our deacons who's at 840 today, is actually chair of our uh, personnel team. So they do that, and, and those teams operate, and every now and then we have another committee or so that pops up for a season, and then they're done, you know, when the work is done. And then we say that we're congregationally supported. We don't vote on everything here. You've noticed that. We vote on the important things. Pastors, we vote on, you know, if we were going to go into debt or something like that, or build a building, we would vote on those types of things, but we don't vote on the color of the carpet. Uh, we entrust that to faithful people and get input from them, and we just go with it, because we figure that you probably have better things to do, and we know that we do as well. So we don't do that. Now, when we say congregationally supported, does that mean that you can't have a differing opinion uh, than what we have? Well, certainly not. But what it does say about us, and we're really big on this here, is that the unity of the body of Christ means everything. It absolutely means everything. So what happens is it's fine for us to disagree about the way something ought to be and whatnot, but once the decision's made, we all get over it and go on. No backbiting, no kind of talking about, well, those people are idiots, they didn't do right, or that class, they don't know what they're doing. We, we just don't do that. And we really believe that preserving the unity of the body of Christ is paramount if we're going to be effective. And, and you know, I've served churches that were operated completely differently. It was completely separated out. Um, I had a deacon body in the church that I served uh, that acted more like a parliament. It, it was different. I, I took everything that we did to them. We voted on it there before we ever brought it to the church. And it served us well. It was fine. It wasn't a big deal. I had faithful men who were good men and godly men. And so it wasn't an issue. But our structure is what it is so that we can hopefully move things along and keep the main thing the main thing. I want to say to Jody and Philip this morning, I charge both of you guys before God and these people who are gathered for our worship service today that you really pay close attention to what we're talking about because this is really important. If you have your copy of the Word of God this morning, your Bible, I'd encourage you to open it to Acts chapter 6. If you don't, don't worry about it. It's going to be on the screen behind us or there's a pew Bible you can grab in front of you. As you're turning there, I want to give you just a little bit of kind of the storyline that gets us to Acts chapter 6 because we're kind of jumping right into the middle of something. You may remember Jesus died, was buried, resurrected, and then Acts starts with his ascension into heaven. So that's really where the book of Acts starts. And there's an apostle named Peter, the same Peter that had denied uh, Christ three times and been restored by Christ. He preaches this sermon on the day of Pentecost 
and thousands of people are saved. And what do you do when thousands of people are saved? You say, well, we probably ought to start a church. I mean, we're looking around, we do the same thing, right? If we went somewhere in Nashville and preached in a certain area of town and a thousand people got saved, we'd say, we probably have a church over here. Let's get going. Let's get something. But what happened was, as the church was getting started, there were all kinds of things that they had never had to deal with before. I mean, it was just like you could imagine, you know. They didn't have committees. They didn't have a church yesterday. Now they have a church, right? So there are all these things taking place that need to get done. And I want you to see how they dealt with an issue that needed attention. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, that statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Perimenus, and Nicholas as a proselyte from Antioch. And they brought them before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith." Interesting because these deacons, by and large, served behind the scenes as well. In fact, outside of Stephen and really Philip, you really don't hear any more about the other guys that were listed. They served a function, did well, took care of the issue that was at hand, but they didn't become part of any part of the larger, I guess what you would say, gospel narrative going forward. When we see this early church, we see that the growth had unintended consequences. It's kind of like a business that grows too fast. You know, the owner had everything and then all of a sudden he wants the business to grow and it starts to grow and it's great, but things start to fall through the cracks because he can't keep up with everything. And that's exactly what was happening here. You can imagine 3000 people converted. What do we do with all of these people? And what's at stake here really is the distribution of food to two separate groups of widows. And this really could have become a divisive point if you think about it, because it's ethnic groups. And that's important for us to see. There were some who were called Hellenistic Jews over here, and they're people who grew up Greek and became Jews, right? So they had Greek background. And then there were native Hebrews. And we'll just refer to them as the Greeks and the Hebrews for the rest of our time this morning, kind of keeping it simple. But if you see this, what happened is one group wasn't getting the distribution of food fairly for their widows. Now, this is a little bit different for us. But we got to remember, there's no social security, there's no disability, there's no anything. If you're out on your own, your husband dies, you're an orphan, there's no infrastructure to take care of these things. The church was doing it. And by the way, the church should still do it. The church needs to take care of people. That's the job, right? To make sure needs are being met. This isn't something that's petty. This was serious. And why was it serious? When you go back into the Old Testament, there are generally three groups of people that we're reminded all of the time that we're to look after all the time. You ready? Widows, orphans, and aliens. And if you're a young person in the service, one of our children in the service, I just want to, not aliens from outer space, okay? Those don't exist. I had to say that in the first service. When we think about aliens, what are we talking about? We're talking about somebody who's moved to a different country. Why would God say that? Why would God say that it would be important that you don't take advantage of people who have moved into your country from another country? Remember what he said? He said, you remember what it was like when you lived in Egypt. 
sojourning in a foreign land, right? So he was saying, remember, treat people the right way. Take care of widows, orphans, and those who come into your country, and that's really important. So the care was being overlooked for these Hellenistic, these Greek widows, and the church needed a solution. And so what the apostles did is kind of interesting. They called the congregation together, and they said, hey, the priority for us as apostles isn't serving the tables. It's to pray and continue in the ministry of the word. Now that makes sense, right? Because the church is growing and the apostles were teaching and preaching all over the place, spending time with the Lord. And it wasn't that they were saying that they were too dignified to do this job. They were saying it wasn't the best use of their spiritual gifts. That's the same way with our pastors uh, here this morning. When you think about this, I've seen our pastors pushing bye-bye buggies, working in the nursery, serving in VBS, driving buses, cleaning up messes, helping people in the parking lot. I mean, our pastors will do anything that we need to do, but what we really need them to do is to do what only they can do, right? In fact, this morning, just as a trial run, because I like pushing the bye-bye buggy. If you've never done it, you're a hero. Instant rock star status when you load up the toddlers and start pushing the bye-bye buggy. They get happy, you get happy, people stop, they wave to you. It's fantastic, honestly. But I thought, you know, Bob Ray's going to be our chairman this year. I thought, Bob, why don't you preach today and I'll do the bye-bye buggy. And he said that I should be in here and he'd go do the bye-bye buggy, right? That's how that works. You understand, we do what we can do. And what happens is, at Judson, it's the same way. The apostles had created the office of deacon. And they did it by telling these Greek widows, pick some guys from within your own ranks. We're not going to make the Hebrews do it. We're not going to take care of it ourselves. You guys look around in the congregation and find people that you think are the best men to serve. And it's interesting because when they did this, they did it in a special way. They did it with three characteristics in mind. Seven men who had three characteristics. First, good reputation. Second, full of the Holy Spirit. Third, full of wisdom, able to apply wisdom. Now that's funny to me. That almost seems a little bit laughable, right? I mean, it's like, we need you to get some food. Why did they need men of good reputation? Why did they have to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, why, why did they have to be able to apply wisdom? Why not find somebody who had a big bankroll or find somebody who owned a restaurant and say, hey, we need you to take care of this. You're in the food service industry. Don't know, maybe some of those guys had owned a restaurant or were very adept at that, but that wasn't the qualifications that they were given. They were told... Don't just find anybody. Don't look around and see who doesn't have anything better to do. Find people who are godly. It was a spiritual issue that needed spiritual guidance from spiritual men who would solve the problem that these widows had. Let's look at these three characteristics. They had to be of good reputation. When I meet with our deacons to talking about selecting the new deacons that we're going to be bringing on, that's the first thing that we ask. What's their reputation? They need to have a good reputation at home, first of all. They need to have a good reputation at work. They need to have a good reputation in the community. They need to have a good reputation at church. We want to be cautious and select men who have great reputations, who won't harm the name of this church or the body of Christ. Our deacons need to be men who are filled with the Holy Spirit. That means they're controlled by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that our deacons walk around in rigid pietism you crack a joke to them, they'll probably laugh. You know, they're good guys. Uh, they're, they're not so heavenly minded. They're no earthly good. But it does mean that they are constantly evaluating their lives and being led by the Holy Spirit. They, they want to they do what the Holy Spirit wants to do, and they want that for our church, and they want to serve in that way. And then finally, we want to choose wise men. They need to be able to apply knowledge. If you notice, 
They said, hey, uh, we need to find some guys who can look at this problem and apply wisdom to it. It was a service issue. But it wasn't just a service issue, it was spiritual. So they got spiritual men. That's what we're looking for as well. Verse 6 says that the apostles laid their hands on these seven men. And that's kind of an old throwback from a symbolic act from the Old Testament. If you think about it, in the Old Testament, they laid hands on someone's head. And it was a sign of like a succession in the kingdom or a sign of special favor or blessing. And in this case, it was the apostles not infusing them with the Holy Spirit. They already had that. Remember, it said, find these guys that already have the Holy Spirit. You get that when you're saved. What they had was the apostles' blessing. And when they did that in front of everybody, they were set apart to the office of deacon. And the results look like they work. Look at verse 7 again. The word of God kept on spreading... And the number of apostles continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The result of the action was that the church grew. The apostles kept their focus on the preaching of the word of God. And as they did this, people were hearing the word of God preached. They were becoming obedient. It's amazing that it says even the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So what happened is they dealt with the issue and it allowed the church to keep doing its full mission. Now here's the thing. They didn't overlook the issue. The issue was important, wasn't it? It was an important thing for them to address. It could have caused great division. There were cultural issues at stake here. There were racial issues at stake here. By the way, race is always made right in Christ, right? There, there are no races before the Lord. We're going to find out in heaven that everyone stands before the Lord on equal footing. And so when we stand before the Lord on equal footing, these things are the things that could drive us apart. What they did was bound them together and said, look, we're not going to have this. And God used it. Can you imagine what would have happened if they weren't able to do this? Well, you guys only take care of part of your widows. Evidently, if you're not from the right lineage, you don't get taken care of at this place, at this church. And that didn't happen. Well, we want to see the same thing happen in our church. We want to preach the word of God so that people come to know Christ. We want to see them be obedient to the faith. We want to see them discipled. And we can't do that as the pastors of this church if we're always having to attend to the issues that someone else could attend to. Someone else can push the bye-bye buggy. Someone else can serve in the parking lot, right? Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy as well. 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is the second passage that speaks about the qualifications of deacons. And this is after the book of Acts was written. Apostle Paul writing to a young pastor at a church at Ephesus. The pastor's name was Timothy. And Paul wrote to him and said, here's what you're looking for. I'm going to kind of expand out some of these qualifications for you so that you'll really see what you need when you're selecting people who will serve the church in the office of deacons. They're kind of fleshed out, so to speak. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. Paul writes, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must first also be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things, Deacons must be the husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their households. For those who have served well as deacon obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Paul had just finished up telling Timothy the qualifications for pastors. Sometimes he used the word elder, overseer. It's all the same. We just choose to use the word pastor here. But when he says likewise, there's some similarities. There's some differences 
But he says there's some similarities because you're setting apart these men to do something just a little bit differently. Notice what he said. He said they need to be dignified. They need to have dignity. That sounds a lot like a man who has a good reputation, right, from the book of Acts. He says a person who tells the truth all the time and isn't addicted to wine or fond of the type of business that chases after shady money or the old term there, sordid gain, or sketchy money as I like to call it sometimes, right? And I want to say just a moment as we stop and kind of think about this. When we talk about the reputation of our deacons, we hold our pastors and our deacons to a high standard here, and we ask them to do something. And I get questions about it from time to time, and I felt like it'd be good for us to kind of address that. But it really revolves around the issue of consuming alcohol and finances. I want to just speak to you about that for a second. Why don't our deacons and why don't our pastors consume alcohol? Well, it comes down to two issues, and it's basically the words wisdom and testimony. Wisdom and testimony. When you think about it, for a believer, when we talk about alcohol, there's a a big issue here in Ephesians raised up for us where Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a hard and fast line. If you're drunk, you're out of the will of God. No doubt about it. You need to be filled by the Holy Spirit. He is the only thing, by the way, that should be controlling our lives. The only thing. So when we talk about that, then why don't our pastors consume? Why don't they take part of that? Why don't our deacons do that? Well, I think it comes from something else we learned in Proverbs chapter 20 in verse 1 that speaks to wisdom. Listen to this. Proverbs 20 in verse 1 says that wine is a mocker and strong drink is a brawler and the person consuming is led astray or errs when they do that. I think that's an interesting way of putting it because wisdom would tell us that we need to be cautious here. We need to be cautious here. I know that that's not in vogue, and I realize that that may not be the the culture of the day. As I drive around town, it seems like uh, more and more places are are advertising that here's a new bar you can come to or here's a new place you can come and consume, but we're just not going to do it. As long as I'm the pastor of the church, we're going to make that a hard and fast line because we believe we need to be cautious here. Let me tell you why. If I wasn't the pastor of the church, I have enough life experience to tell you that it will still wreck your life. I worked as a sheriff's deputy for a number of years when I lived in Virginia, working as a reserve deputy there. You know, it's funny. I never met anybody who I visited in jail who meant to kill anyone driving drunk. They didn't set out to do it. They didn't set out to ruin their lives or their families, beat their children, hurt their spouse. That wasn't their goal. They were led astray. And that's the point, guys. And I would just say this to you. Uh, We're going to hold that as a line because we believe that we need to be cautious and prudent. All it would take is for the pastor to be arrested for public intoxication or drunk driving. How would that help the name of Christ? How would it help us if our deacons are? We're just not going to do it. The other thing we ask our deacons to do that you might be interested to know about is we ask them to tithe. We ask our pastors to do the same thing. It's a requirement. And you say, well, why would you do that? Well, remember he was just talking about being of good reputation and not chasing after sketchy money. Tithing has single-handedly changed my life. It's a faith practice that's changed my life. Because when you tithe, it's a cure for chasing after sketchy money. Because you begin to see that God is the one who is providing for all of your needs. Not you, but God. And I want to just say to you, if you're not a tither, If you've never done that, I want you to look at a verse this afternoon from the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. And I'd love for you to read that and pour over it because it has an interesting thing, a little wrinkle to it. It says this, try me in this, says the Lord. Now you know you're not supposed to 
test the Lord. But God says there's one area where he will always allow you to test him, and he'll be found faithful. Try me. Try me in it. You tithe, and God will bless you. God wants to be the one that provides for you, and he wants you to trust him in all things. Verse 9 says that there's another qualification for our deacons is that they have to hold fast to the mystery of the faith. They don't have to be theologians, but they have to be sure about the mystery of the faith because faith is a mystery. Can I just stop for a moment and talk to you about this? Faith is a mystery because God can't be put in a box. He's bigger than your box. He's worthy of all glory and honor. And the God of the universe doesn't work linearly. It's not like some formula, A plus B equals C. It just doesn't work that way. God doesn't fit in a box. He's outside of that. He can't be contained by our minds. And it is a mystery. And, and sometimes we find ourselves struggling in the mystery of the faith. And maybe you're struggling with what it means to be a believer today. You're struggling with what it means to have faith. And if you're an adult in the room, the answer to that is that you have to come like a child. You don't have to be a child to be saved. But you have to come like a child with childlike faith. It's an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? Childlike faith. You know, sometimes as adults, we want to reason everything away, and we have a thousand reasons why it can't be this or it can't be that, but God wants you to have faith in him. Faith is the assurance of things we don't see like heaven and God and Jesus. You can't taste it and touch it, but they're real. You may not always be able to feel it, but by faith you can know it. And that's how you're saved. And I think it'd be important for you today that if you've never given your life to Christ, if you're struggling with the mystery of the faith, find me after the service. Find me out in the lobby. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to live in the mystery of the faith. Verse 10 says that the deacons need to be tested. All of our deacons are tested by our deacons. Their wives are interviewed. Their families are watched for a season. In fact, right now, some of your families are being watched as uh, we're considering who might be the next group of deacons. Brother Bob just asked me the other day, who are some people that you guys as the staff are really seeing kind of coming along? And we're saying, well, y'all look at this guy and his family, good people. You need to see, get to know them, test them. But they meet, they have to be qualified by the process. You know what? Sometimes in that qualification process, we've had men come along and say, I am not qualified for one reason or another. You, you didn't know that I was divorced and I'm, I'm not qualified for this. That's great. Thank you for that. That's fine. Sometimes they've said, my family situation, you don't realize what's going on in my family right now, and I'm, I'm not qualified to serve as a deacon. And God bless them for that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. It's not a shameful thing at all. But we often ask them when we get to this point, are you ready to move forward with this? Do you understand what the qualifications are? Do you understand what we're looking for? And when they say yes, it's a special thing. You know, we don't have to have a set number of deacons here. We have to have the right deacons here. Because we're not trying to win a popularity contest. If you knew these men, they're not interested in standing on this stage and taking any credit for anything. They're interested in serving the Lord. And they do that. You'll find them serving in the parking lots, teaching life groups, cleaning up messes when toilets overflow, hanging out in the children's area when you overslept and didn't call Pastor Jack to let him know you weren't going to be there to do your shift. You know, those kinds of things. They're there all the time doing those kinds of things. They preserve the unity of the body of our church as well. Our deacons work in all of the church discipline matters that we have here. Tough job, huh? Why would anybody want to do that? Why would you sign up for it? Look at verse 
13. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. It's spelled out pretty clearly, isn't it? Serving is the way to high standing. That's funny. Because our culture says that that doesn't get you anything. You need to be on the top. But Jesus said that if you want to be first, be last. If you want to be last, then you can be first. That's how it works, right? You have to humble yourself. It's a funny thing when we ask them to humble themselves because when they do it, they get a high standing. But I think the most important thing, and I would say this to Philip and Jody today, is that you gain a confidence in serving the Lord in your own faith. There's a confidence that shows up as you begin to serve the Lord when you enter the trenches of what God has for us to do as we're building his kingdom. There's confidence that we gain from that. Now, the interesting thing about that is for you in the pew, uh, you may not be a deacon. That's not a reason why you can't have confidence from serving the Lord. Serving the Lord brings us great confidence. A lot of times we don't have any confidence because we're not seeing God do anything, because we're not involved. We're not, we're not in the trenches. We're pulling away. We're, we're, we're always making excuses for why we can't do something instead of trying to eliminate the distractions of why we should be serving. And so for some of you, we've been asking you to think about teaching life group classes. We've been asking you to serve in our children's ministry. And as we kind of enter into 2018, it's time to kind of lay aside the excuses. Well, I would just ask you this way. What would be the one thing that's holding you back in 2018 from serving our church and building the kingdom? If you're going to serve the church, you're going to have to be a member of the church. You can't serve until you're a member. And if you're not serving, you're missing out in something in your life. I would just say to you, the membership still matters. It matters here. And if you've been thinking about joining the church or taking our next steps class, you need to do that. You need to find your place of service and and where it is that God wants you to be involved. I think as well, you need to be thinking about how God wants to use you this year. Where is it that he can use you? We have a lot of things that are exciting. You're going to be hearing over the next three weeks about what we feel like God is leading us to do. And we have a lot of work for you to do. It's a lot. But if we're going to reach people for Christ, it won't be by happenstance. If we're going to make a difference in our neighbor's lives, it won't be by happenstance. It's going to require an effort on all of our parts to build the church which builds the kingdom. That's the goal. So I want to ask you if you would bow your heads and pray with me. We're going to sing what may be the most appropriate song that we could sing today. I surrender all. I want to ask you to do two things in this time of response. One, I want you to see if there's anything holding you back from serving the Lord. What would you give up to serve the Lord? to serve the Lord in this church what's more important if God speaks to you about something just confess that and let's get ready to serve secondly I want to thank God for the opportunity that we have to serve with one another Would you just thank God that you have the opportunity to serve this year? What a blessing to be able to be in this room with these great people 
God, we look at 2018 as a year where we believe you're going to lead us down a journey that you have laid out before us. And we know that it's going to require commitment and service. We can't do it haphazardly. So, Father, as we stand in a moment to sing, I surrender all, what we really need to lay down are those burdens that are keeping us from serving, the excuses that we've made, all the reasons that we've given. God, I pray you would just reinvigorate us to serve the kingdom this year. Thank you for Jody and Philip coming on board with us this year, for all of our deacons, for Bob who will be chairing that uh, deacon body this year. Would you watch after them, Lord? And I thank you for, for their uh, example to us, Lord, of service. And I pray that you would bless them and that they would gain, gain great confidence in their faith this year. Lord, give us confidence as we serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.